Today's episode is brought to you by Amazon Fresh Stores. Did you know, like, uh, grocery stores like Whole Foods and Sprouts and stuff, uh, some of the other, like, ones I can't think of, but th- those ones that have, like, food and, and meals. Uh, Ralph's has a few of those. But you know those ones that have, like, those in the in the store? Yeah, so apparently I went to my first Amazon Fresh store, and they have um, Indian food. Like, they got, like, sog paneer, chicken tikka masala, and stuff, just laying you know fresh to take and you know enjoy and um all i could think of was i hope that one of bezos's factory workers gatorade bottles aren't one of the ingredients listen to an overrated podcast He is Mitha Mitha. My name is Sagar Jacobnani, and this is the Overrated Podcast where we figure out what is deserving of the hype. We are going to <laughs> talk about two topics that I genuinely don't know how long they will take. One of them, I don't even actually know what train of thought we're even going to go on. So I said, let's just get right into it. And if we, at first, why don't we talk about something that me and you did disagree on last week? Um, we were talking about the NBA and the NBA Players Association reaching a tentative deal on the new collective bargaining agreement known as the CBA. A little bit of a background for those of us who don't know. Would you mind, Ode, just kind of giving us a bit of the, how often does the, where does the Players Association stand in relation to the league? Like, who's the big names to know in the Players Association and the, the league itself? And, um, you know, essentially what this is, is, is you don't even have to really be into basketball for this topic. This is more of like just a labor dispute topic. Yeah, um, so the collective bargaining agreement is, is it's just a, a labor agreement that um, that the players agree to with the owners. And these negotiations happen every few years because they have a expiration on the agreement. It's every like five to seven years, um, something like that. Uh, famously, or I guess infamously, we've had uh, situations in the past where the two sides could not come to an agreement in time before the agreement expired, which led to a lockout that was in uh, 1999 and again in 2011 and that actually resulted in the cancellation of games that resulted in a shortened season um and that was uh, i believe the year that the mavericks uh, eventually ended up winning the championship in 2011 uh, and then that was the first spurs title and that was kind of that weird year where the knicks made it all the way to the finals as far as how uh, the the players and the owners have fared the players share of so, so the biggest kind of sticking point on, on on this is how the pie is split up. So there's something called basketball-related income, BRI. And over time, the player's share of that has decreased. I think a couple CBAs ago, the players had like 57% of the overall BRI. And now it's down to 51%. Uh, but as, as far as fans, that, that part is not really super interesting. But this is the time that they, that they use to make a, a lot of changes to things like contracts, salaries, all sorts of stuff that have a pretty big impact on how players can move around, how long of contracts players can sign. Like if you remember, uh, you know, uh, maybe in the mid 2000s, players could sign seven year contracts, right? And now the max length of a contract you can sign is five years, all that kind of stuff. And obviously the dollar amounts that are contained within are negotiated as a part of these, um, these, the CBA. So as far as 
the important uh, uh, members. Executive director is um, it's a lawyer. It's like uh, it's Tamika. I can't remember her last name, but she succeeded Michelle Roberts, who I think was widely considered a, a pretty bad um, director for the for the association. Uh, and as far as the players who serve on the leadership, it is um, C.J. McCollum is the president, and you have a bunch of vice presidents. I think most notably um, Iguodala is one of them. Jalen Brown's one of them. I think Kyrie's one of them. I think still. Uh, and then they have like other uh, members. They have like a treasurer and a secretary and all sorts of stuff. But CJ is the big one. Okay, so um, we'll get we'll get to the part that like I vehemently disagree on with its inclusion in general. We'll get to that part. But um, <laughs> I pulled up two articles that um, to kind of help me get the rundown for this topic one of them from was from the athletic and the other one (laughs) weirdly enough was from npr (laughs) um i didn't know npr cared about this kind of stuff but um yeah Uh, state-run media according to (laughs) he who must not be named oh god uh first thing was the in-season tournament that commissioner silver wanted um what's that (laughs) Yeah, so it's basically going to be something that happens in like December, probably late December, um, and it it won't result in any additional games being played. So it'll just be like, you know, instead of regular season games, there will be a portion of those games that will go into the in-season tournament, and it's going to be a March Madness style single elimination, basically a bracket, and then the two teams that get to the end they will play an additional game. So in their entire season, they will have played 83 games as opposed to everyone else playing 82. So it's not actually changing the number of games. It's just, I think, you know, Silver has uh, was a big proponent of the play-in tournament, which we're in the middle of right now um, with um, with the 7 through 10 seeds at each conference playing against each other, uh, which I think has been um, really fun. And I think that's been a successful uh, thing that he's instituted. Uh, and now he's just trying to add more competition into the regular season. Don't, you know, it remains to be seen how successful that will be. I don't know whether teams will care or their players will care, but I guess it does add, it, it's fun for the fans, right? Especially fans of teams who aren't really expected to be competitive, you know, come playoff time. And if you think about how the season ebbs and flows and how long the season is, right? There were teams at the beginning of the season that are not relevant at all today. Like you could think of, like even the Spurs had a pretty good start from what I remember, right? The Jazz were really good. Um, the Mavs were good to start off. And these are teams that are not even in the playoffs. I remember we thought Dan was going to the finals for like two weeks. Well, well I, I don't know if I ever thought that. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, teams like that, right? Teams that have that have it going, right? If, if you can catch fire and get it going, you know, it's, obviously it's not going to be nearly as impactful or as serious as, you know, the real playoffs, but it's just, it's like a fun little thing to have in the middle of your regular season. And it's not actually going to disrupt really anything um, about it, except for the, I guess the teams that make it to the final four, they have to play on a neutral site. So I guess that might affect the number of home games and away games slightly, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, who cares? I'm all for making the regular season more fun. Um, I think the play-in has been successful and this might be an additional step to, to achieve that goal. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I will say the play-in has been really exciting just because of the... I mean, the the Lakers and Wolves game for 7th seed in the West ended up being like CTE basketball for like a whole quarter. But um, aside from that, uh, just very much enjoying like the single elimination of it all. 
uh, the players have to appear in 65 games in order to be eligible for MVP. Uh, do you think... Let me ask you this. Does does this really change much? Because I think for... F- correct me if I'm wrong, but what I see from the whole MVP award of it all is like once once a player, like especially a star player, once they get like one or two of them, they don't really matter. Like, and not to make him like the target of all my shitting on as as always, but like if Kawhi Leonard wants to load manage, he's like <laughs> he's he's gonna he's gonna load manage. Like, I don't think he gives a fuck about MVP, right? Like at this point, so is this really gonna change anything? Well, um, I, I did go back and do some research. I think there have only been a handful of times that we've had a, a player play fewer than um, than the 65 games and actually uh, win the award. Two of them were obviously in the two lockout seasons that I mentioned. That would be Karl Malone and, and LeBron. Uh, and then there were a couple of outlier seasons. It was like Bill Walton um, back in the 70s and then actually Giannis in 2020. Uh, and I think... That's be I can't remember exactly, but I think when remember they when they went back into the bubble and they had like those tune-up games, there were like eight or nine regular season games that each team had to complete. I think he sat at a few of those, but if his MVP candidacy were on the line, I'm sure he would have played that. So those are the only examples. There's only you know five total that I just mentioned of all the MVPs that have ever um, been below 65 games. Um, the part I'm not a huge fan of is that we had to put a hard number on it because at some point down the road, someone is going to play 64 games and it's going to be a problem. And they did add a little addendum in there where it was like, oh, well, it's kind of up to the league's discretion as to what counts as a game. Like, you know, if the, if the team holds you out, you know, we don't count that against the player. But if the player is injured, there, there seemed to be some room for maneuverability. And I'm like, well, if you're writing that into the rule, then why have the rule at all? I kind of just prefer like, you know, you have, I don't know, 100 plus voters that vote on this stuff. Like, just let them kind of figure it out without having to handicap them in this way. Um, even more though so than MVP, I think where it will be most impactful is all NBA. Because when you get down to all NBA, you know, first, second and third team, that's when games played is, is going to matter quite a bit. And it might actually, like, if you go through the All-NBA this year, it's really tough. It's a really tough ballot to fill out. But if you're limited by 65 games, every season that's going to knock off a lot of people um, off consideration uh, for All-NBA. And importantly, people's contracts uh, for the best players, they're tied to All-NBA, right? Getting a Supermax, you know, all all that kind of stuff. So if you don't play enough games, all of a sudden that's going to have really, really big impacts on the type of contracts the players can sign. And consequently, whether players choose to stay with their existing teams, if their teams aren't able to offer them way more money. I, I guess my feeling about this one is like kind of what I was alluding to. I, ju- I just don't think it's going to matter much. Um, but hey, I could be wrong. We'll see. Okay, yeah. The second luxury tax. Okay, I got to admit, like, I, I have... Look, I've been watching this sport for a long time. I know a lot about the sport, and I keep trying to learn more about it but like man when we get into things like luxury taxes and stuff like that that kind of shit starts to elude me a little bit so um yeah any in your best words to explain the second luxury tax level that when reached 
will keep teams from using their mid-level exception to sign players. That was apparently a clear compromise, according to the NPR article. Uh, Some teams wanted the so-called upper spending limit that would have essentially installed an absolute ceiling on what could be spent each season and help balance the playing field between teams that are willing to pay enormous tax bills and those who aren't. I got you. Easy money. Okay, so um, when we talk about salary caps, uh, so so in football and in hockey, they have something called a hard cap, which basically means, hey, here's your budget. So if we just use simple numbers, hey, here's a hundred bucks. You can go spend your hundred bucks however you want, but you can't spend a single cent over a hundred bucks. But the NBA, con- uh, conversely, has what we call a soft cap, where it's like, hey, here's a hundred bucks, but if you, you know, given these certain criteria, you can actually spend up to 110 and 120 and blah, 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 blah. Um, so right now, one of the measures that's used to um, disincentivize uh, teams from spending too much is something called a luxury tax. So if you go above your salary cap limit, so again, let's say you're 100 bucks, let's say they set the luxury tax limit at 110 bucks. So every dollar you spend above 110 bucks, now you have to pay an additional tax on that. So if, if you really want to go out and spend a lot of money, you're actually not you're not, not just spending the money, you're paying tax in order for the privilege to spend that money. Now, the reason that, that the soft cap setup exists is because it allows for more players to get more money. So if, if the words hard cap are ever brought up in a negotiation, the players are going to walk away, you know, right away, right? That, that's kind of a non-starter for, for the players' side of it. Um now the issue is that if you have rich owners, as as we have, you know, a handful of those. I mean, all all the owners are rich, but you know, there are some owners that are a lot more willing to just spend money to field a competitive team. Uh, if you have those owners, now all of a sudden that's creating an advantage for those teams just because they have owners who are willing to spend money, which you know, ideally is not something that you you would want. So now what they're doing is they have a second tier, what they're calling this second salary cap apron where now okay if you go above 100 you can go above you can get to 110 if you go above 110 like we said you start paying all these extra taxes and it becomes a lot more expensive now if you go above 120 we're going to restrict a bunch of things that you could do where it's almost like a hard cap but kind of not really do we know which teams and organizations wanted the hard cap in the nba um I don't know that it's any specific teams. I think it's just a general like ownership thing that they would ideally want a hard cap because that just limits how much money that everyone can spend on players. So that's just going to reduce everyone, like how much all the owners have to spend. But as far as who is in this impact right now, uh, this year, uh, Golden State, the Clippers and the Nets are going to, if this rule was in place this year, those are the three teams that it would affect. So it's really designed to curb the um, the the vices of these very, very, very high spending teams. Like I think the Warriors, the last couple of years, just because they keep paying their own guys, right? They keep paying them more and more and more, and they keep adding new guys. Their you know bill has ballooned to such a a large number. That's the kind of stuff that this this is aiming to limit. Our Steph, Clay, and Draymond all getting the the max right now from the Warriors. Yeah, so when you say max, there's like different levels of max. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah, so it, it's all a complicated thing, but yeah, 
Steph, Clay, Draymond are all getting a bunch of money. Both Poole and Wiggins are getting paid over like $30 million a year. I think Steph's probably in the 50s right now. Clay's probably in the 40s. So yeah, it's it's a lot of money. All right. Well, well, what do you think about that one then? I think it's a good idea. Again, it's 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 going to be something that affects these uh, only a handful of teams, and this is not going to go into effect tomorrow. They'll kind of have like a grace period that allows teams to comply, so that it's not like you know you wake up tomorrow and the Warriors are just completely screwed. So I think I think the idea of it's good, and it's not done in a punitive way because. It's like, hey, if you really want to spend the money, you can, but it just limits like, okay, well, you, uh, the amount of stuff you can do in trades, well, you, you can't do as much. You don't have as much flexibility in trades. You can't. So the, the rule that you pointed out was the, um, the mid-level exception. That's a rule that says uh, even if you're over the cap every single year, so let's say you've already spent your 100 out of 100 bucks, we're going to give you like whatever, seven or eight million bucks just so you can sign somebody to add to your team, right? Even though you're maxed out on, on the money, you don't have as much, any budget anymore. Um, we're going to give you one tool to, to play with so that you can, you know, you, you don't have to just carry over your team from the previous year. But now if you're in that second tier above that apron, that you don't even have that. So, so it, it, it's implementing things like that, which make it really, really hard for a team to maneuver and so if you, you you can still get into that range, but you're going to really pay the price for it in terms of your team building flexibility. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to get into some stuff that like d- d- I'm eh about. Um, NBA players will be allowed to invest in NBA and WNBA teams via an NBPA selected private equity firm. First off, <laughs> private equity is not good for anybody. <laughs> like getting involved with private equity firms is is... That just already is kind of a red flag to me. Uh, second, this just kind of seems like so. This is basically the like LeBron gets to own a team while he's still a player rule, right? Well, kind of. Um, I think the idea is that these private equity firms would have like stake in multiple teams, like they have like you know point you know one percent here and point three percent there, and it gives players a way to like grow their wealth. It's just kind of another investment option. I think the NBA created its own like private equity division at the beginning of of this season. So the, the LeBron thing, I think LeBron wants to like be the majority owner of a team, which I don't think even he has the cash to do. Um, but he he would probably buy it as part of like a sports group, kind of like how Magic Johnson has done. So I think that's when he's retired, he's probably going to be the owner of like one of the expansion franchises that they're, they're going to bring into like Vegas or Seattle. Okay. Players will have the ability to promote and or invest in betting and cannabis companies. They will be allowed to sign non-gambling endorsement deals with sports betting companies. Um, I absolutely hate this. <laughs> um, I, I do not like it one bit. I just think I don't give a fuck about your stupid parlay or whatever. Like, I don't know who the fuck like these DraftKings like nerds are. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Like, I, I'm a little uncomfortable that we're all just cavalierly talking about gambling like it's nothing and, and, and bringing it into sports, which, yes, I get that people have been betting on sports from, like, the beginning, but it's 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 it sucks that it's being so pushed on. Like, you're just going to keep giving DraftKings and, and FanDuel more, more power to 
run to run your event like um, we're already seeing it in the ufc like granted like dana's business acumen in terms of protecting his fighters and keeping them actually like you know operating in their self-interest is not good at all but it's just like every fucking second it's like this is brought to you by DraftKings, brought to you by fanduel like all the commercials like halfway between there's like DraftKings and fanduel like at some point kids are watching this right <laughs> like and 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 i know like kids can't fucking gamble but like at some point at some point this is kind of annoying right and 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 now like players have the ability to promote it and invest in the betting and like is it not a red flag that like the players can can promote this thing where people can bet and the that they're betting on the player like does that link not bother anyone else is is it not way too much of a conflict of interest um i have more of an issue with it from like the moral standpoint of just gambling in general I'm not too worried about the conflict of interest because I think the way that it's going to be enacted is going to be such that players can't promote like a single betting market. Like they can't promote a FanDuel or a, you know, DraftKings or, or, you know, one of those types of companies. But I think it'll be similar to the the private equity ownership thing where it's like there will be investment companies that have stakes in these these sports books and, and, and gambling sites and whatever. And, and that's kind of how you, you get in on that. That's my understanding of it. Um, is it a bad look? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a bad look. Um, do I have players, do, 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 I have, do I have an issue with players doing it? Um, n- no, in the sense that like sports betting is, it, 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 it's a huge thing and it's going to be a huge thing because it's getting legalized, you know, in, in more states like every single month and year, it, it's going to be a thing whether these leagues participate in it or not, right? And, and right now in hockey and baseball, those players are all allowed to to do some version of this. Uh, so I, from that standpoint, I, I don't have an issue of players getting involved and actually making a profit off of the stuff that like relies on them, right? Like without without them, without the things that they do, this stuff you know, these betting markets, all that, it doesn't exist. So as far as players getting cut, a cut of that, that doesn't bother me. Uh, yeah, like I said, the issue I have is just generally like the idea of gambling and kind of how pervasive it's become. Uh, and to the point where it's like, I, I feel like it's it, it's a bigger problem than tobacco, you know, to be honest, like in, in terms of, you know, how addictive it can be and how it can ruin lives and that kind of thing. Uh, but as far as the conflict of interest, I, I, I don't I don't really see it that way. I just feel like this is one of the those things you just don't open the door to it, period, because player money is going to be going directly into the company, DraftKings. Like, it, you mean to tell me there's no room for a loophole or some kind of bullshit to go down? Like, it, it it's having currently active athletes have a financial stake in a business whose finances are heavily impacted by the results those players have control over. Like, that's... That sounds like an insanely slippery slope to me. Yeah, but but again, it's not like they're they're making bets. They're just, you know, in in some indirect way partnering with the company. Right, but they know the people. They know that people are making bets. They know what like the top bets are, and they know, like, people that that work with them. Like it, it's 
it's just there isn't enough degrees of separation for me i i get it and that's kind of why why i settle on like oh it's not a it's not a good look right i mean we have an example um just the i think it was last year where calvin ridley who's um a receiver in the nfl for the falcons he got suspended for basically an entire season because he had like a fifteen hundred dollar parlay or something and and I, i don't think it was on his own team or anything but he was just betting on the nfl and that got him into big trouble um and of course, you know, there's if, if you want to go um, old school, there's uh, uh, the, the classic story of, uh, of of Pete Rose, right? In you know, f- forever ago, he he bet on baseball, and it's one of the probably the one of the most controversial like topics, even still, all these years later in baseball about whether he deserves to kind of be rewelcomed into the game or get into the Hall of Fame and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. But again, I think the way it will be implemented, I, I just don't think they would have done this if they thought it could be abused somehow. I, I think there will be very, very tight controls to stop the exact kind of thing that you're worried about. I mean, one can hope, uh, I suppose. Um, uh, I do want to talk about one thing where like, you know, the NBA players will no longer be penalized for using marijuana under the agreement and it has been removed from the drug testing program. Instinctively, I just want to say this is a good idea, like, fine, sure, let let them let them smoke weed or whatever, but would this create some issues? How so? I just feel like look, as somebody with quite a bit of experience, I just feel like I just feel like we're you know, we don't know enough about weed yet like it hasn't been legal and researched on enough to to just be like i guess allowed um in the sense that like i think long-term effects of it could be an issue and 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 like i feel like for some players it, it could it could like eventually start to affect performance I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm being very. I'm trying to look at it from a very critical lens because I'm weirdly trying to like argue with myself on this because a part of me just wants to be like, yeah, that's fine. Like it's, it's not a big deal. Like it's and, and understanding like the, the reasons for making weed illegal have nothing to do with its composition as a drug. Um, it's obviously all for like race or economic issues because Nixon's a dick. But like a little unsure about this one. As far as the long-term effects of, of of smoking weed, again, as far as I I have have taken the time to understand it, it kind of depends as much like when in your life you start smoking weed, as much as how long you smoke weed. So, like people who start smoking weed when they're like teenagers, like that's gonna have a a very very different effect than those who start smoking weed in their mid twenties. And I'm I'm assuming those who are smoking weed as NBA players, I'm 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 just gonna go out on a limb and say that they were probably smoking weed all all along. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I see what you're saying. I, I just, I think from the standpoint of the NBA, like they were previously randomly testing people and then suspending them if they violated the policy, at least in the David Stern era, I think Silver, I'm pretty sure they haven't been testing for weed ever since the bubble and COVID. Um, and even before then, I, I don't, think he was extremely harsh 
with wielding that rule and, and using the random test and such. So I, I guess from a suspension standpoint, I agree that it's, you know, we don't know the effects and this and that, but is that enough of a reason to A, stop players from using it and B, punishing them if they do? Because, I mean, you could just, just as easily argue that like, hey, like alcohol is, you know, way more damaging or just as damaging or whatever. Um, and we're not like, that's not the basis on which we make a determination about whether things should not be allowed as far as, you know, our athletes. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to discuss it a little bit because I, yes, I I think, you know, again, all the reasons why we should just be, you know, legal at the federal level and everything, but I still do think like, Hey, and, and I just think this is like a fair thing to say about any substance you put in your body like this is still like you know it still is a a mind-altering substance so we should ask at least a few questions about it <laughs> like when when some of these things go out like when you know because like we like like what happened we legalized we legalized like weed in certain states and immediately like the weed market was just like it, it became mostly non-pocs like just just buying up all the stock and stuff and like incredibly hard for like pocs to like start wheat businesses even though they were probably the most affected by unjust weed law like you know it's just a whole thing like i just feel like we have to i feel like we can't just like they legalize it and then like they legalize it and then you know like i feel like we, we gotta ask a few questions every now and then but anyway yeah fine at the end of the day in general do you think like the nba players association it, it just given this deal do you think like overall was it good just your overall thoughts about the whole cba and do you think this is like is this is the nba nba players association like something that other leagues should look forward to because you know you know i have like i have four sports two of them i have like really big on my priority list and one of them doesn't have a single association or union of any sort in my opinion like it's just good that they have one but do you think like the players association here is like really to the best of their ability doing the best thing they can for the players i I think they did a pretty good job i think at least as far as all the headline changes that we've kind of recapped i i thought most of them were were uh good and i thought they would help the players and, and overall help the product as well um the other big thing that I think the one thing that we didn't touch on was the one and done rule. Um, I expected that to to be gone this time around, but they're keeping it right. That the rule where you have to play one year in college uh, before being eligible to declare for uh, for the NBA draft. Oh uh, yeah, you can't you can't just go from high school to the league or something. Yeah, correct. So I mean, that obviously used to be the case, and that's why we have like Kobe and KG, and I think. I think Bynum was um, one of the last players to come directly from high school. Um, I think he might. LeBron? Yeah, LeBron, of course, as well. Um, um, I, I think Bynum might might be the youngest player in NBA history, something like that, um, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, so they had that rule for a while, then they changed it to, oh, you have to play one year in college. And I think for a long time, people have said, well, like, well, why? Like, why does it have to be a thing? Um, you're just stopping like people from you're stopping athletes from earning money earlier. And on top of that, 
um, you're just trying to protect teams from making like poor draft choices because high school prospects are just going to have higher variance naturally just by the nature of of you know at what age they're getting drafted that was the other big one um oh one more thing i guess i i noticed was um and this is kind of inside baseball here or inside basketball um the the, the smoothing of the salary cap so remember the salary cap changes every year and that's based on the total amount of income that the, the league makes so remember we used that $100 mark as an example. So, you know, if your salary cap, your budget basically is 100 bucks this year, you know, it'll be like 105 next year and then 108 the year after that and whatever. In 2016, uh the league signed a new TV deal and because of that, they were flush with cash all of a sudden. So, at that time, instead of having a kind of a smoothing effect over several seasons where the cap would jump like a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Um, the players wanted the cap to jump by a large amount right away because that would mean that a bunch of players would get um, would get a bunch of money that offseason. And that was pretty misguided because that the people who were free agents that year did really well. But the people who were free agents in the couple years after that, all the money was used up because all these teams would go out and sign you know, massive contracts or players that may not have even been worth it. Like this was like the Lou Aldang, Timothy Mozgov, Alan Crabb. This was that summer. And also probably most importantly, this was the mechanic that allowed Golden State to sign Kevin Durant as a free agent, right? They already had a lot of expensive players, but all of a sudden the cap jumped so much in one off season and in the off season that Kevin Durant happened to be a free agent that they were able to sign him outright instead of doing a sign and trade or, or, or any more kind of, um, uh, a more complex situation. So they did write into the um, into this the CBA that um, that there will be a smoothing effect where whenever there is a giant increase uh, projected uh, because of a TV deal uh, or, or whatever other kind of outside circumstance. Okay, we did actually go a decent amount with the <laughs> with the CBA. Um, I shouldn't be surprised but um yeah so this next thing is to give everyone else the context you messaged me so we were going to talk about something else and you said you had nothing interesting to add to <laughs> this conversation so you messaged me saying can we talk about blank and honestly um i have no idea what the fuck you're talking about so um this one's on you uh i will respond with to the best of my ability but uh i'm i'm here I'm just gonna say, uh, "Hey man, just cook." <laughs> okay, so I was watching an episode of Mandalorian as I do every Wednesday uh, on my lunch break. I knock out an episode, um, and I was watching it, and I was thinking, "Hey, this is bad TV. Like, this is not a good show." And I feel sad about that because the Mandalorian, which of course is a, is a Star Wars property. Is I think considered one of their flagship shows, like one of the, obviously the flagship show of Star Wars, and and perhaps even the flagship show of the entire Disney Plus network, and has a lot of fans and all that. And I get how it's crowd pleasing in in a bunch of different ways. But I was like, I was watching it, and I was like, hey, this is a bad show, and it got me thinking about how we have all of these big IP machines, and and we could talk about, and we have talked about Marvel. Uh, quite a bit on this podcast you know 
this is an example of Star Wars, uh, of course, it, it will be no surprise to you that I, I will uh, include Harry Potter in this conversation with the Fantastic Beasts movies. Uh, and we can go on and on. A um, lot, lot of different properties. I mean, you can see the mess that DC has, has been in for, for several years. Um, and we'll see if James Gunn can turn that around. Why is it so hard to make things that are, I'm not even saying great. I'm just saying like, just baseline good. And the, the reason this infuriates me like exceptionally is because we just had Andor, another Star Wars show, come out on Disney Plus uh, just a handful of months ago. And that show was fantastic. I would say it's it was pretty close to a perfect show. And they're going to have a second season of that. And it's a limited uh, series. They're only going to do two seasons. So that's going to be over soon. And, you know, they, they brought in the same people for that that they used to uh, write and direct and, and produce Rogue One. And, and the, the character, Cassie Nandor, is the same character uh, from that movie. This is a prequel story. Uh, and, and so and that, that movie, I think, is generally very, very well liked. It's, it's probably my favorite movie. Um, out of all the the Star Wars movies, um, and Andor, I think is my favorite, you know, bit of Star Wars content ever. So all that to say is that we have proof of concept, right? We, we have seen that these aren't just like, you know, popcorn movies and TV shows, and this is not just for kids. Like we've seen that this has the capability to be good, right? We we've seen like Harry Potter like reach such great heights. Right, and even in the original run, we've seen the movies be really bad. Like we've seen, we have all seen Half Blood Prince, right? And then we followed that up with Deathly Hallows Part One, which is, in my opinion, exceptionally good. Right? Marvel, you know, everyone's talked about the ups and downs ad nauseum. I don't even have a specific way I want to take this conversation. I'll just ask the question and leave it open ended. Like, why the fuck does this happen? Like, with so with with the amount of money that goes into these things and, and you'd imagine the number of people who are involved in in making decisions that affect things like you know the the large-scale plots of tv shows and movies and what direction they're taking the story and characters and this and that like why how is it not even good well that's a loaded question um okay so i i, I will really quickly just do all my like uh disclaimers before i get into this um you know obviously just i'm speaking just as a fan of entertainment and content and and film and tv in general anything i say on this podcast doesn't reflect my employer or university or anyone else i'd be affiliated with um blah 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 i don't make money off this um (laughs) uh don't sue us um i have nothing (laughs) i have negative six figures because going to be going to school soon so do not sue me um anyway all that being said (laughs) i i I understand your frustrations um i i I very much do there's there's different answers uh to different parts of your your questions so so the first obvious thing is obviously the same people don't make every project right like you you can have you can have like an executive producer behind the franchise. Like you can have like a Kevin Feige. Um, you can have a James Gunn who, by the way, it's not going to, 
he's not going to fix DC. Uh, just mark my words right now. <laughs> you can you can just quote me on this. Um, but it's like, look, different people make different things. You you can have a overarching figure like that, but it, even then, that doesn't guarantee projects from from being shitty or not. Um, it's there's a lot of factors crunch time how much how much time they have to get the script done how much time they have you know how much budget they have for reshoots and everything like it, it, there's there's all those questions something might sound good on script but might get delivered really badly in in person like you you don't just i think this is what bothers me as somebody who does work in the industry and and what a lot of people just kind of it's something like we've talked about before. Like everyone's like five minute head cannon is like better than something people spent like months coming up with. Like, um, you know, there, there's that like, or on the, on the, on the non story side of that on, on just the, it is, it is remarkable sometimes to see how big of fans of like movies and TV that people are and how little understanding for the inner workings of, of, how they get made like is like they just have zero understanding of that entire process so uh, all that to say you don't just poop a movie or a show out like it doesn't it doesn't (laughs) i know sometimes it quite literally does feel like that but you don't that doesn't actually happen like it's like everything does take time and you, you see god knows how it keeps coming to this but covid was a bit of the nexus event right that's when like it sped up that that move to streaming which we're now like kind of overcorrecting in a way as an industry then then it sped up like oh to to make streaming services work to get people watching this you need to what drive subscribers to drive subscribers you need to put content on there and what does that do that sacrifices content that could otherwise be made that could otherwise be making money in a in a more traditional revenue stream sense to, to now be a streaming thing to drive subscribers of so at some point i feel like that the big studios with the big streaming services they they fall into this like thing where sometimes you just want to let the creator have it but other but other times it's like look if people are if people are watching it and it's like successfully bringing people either into the theater or onto the streaming service then like they're they're gonna roll with it no matter what i don't know man you straight up just asked me like why isn't everything just good and i'm like struggling to find like the that there isn't an answer for it like there isn't a one word answer for it or anything it's just if i had to say one thing it's it's we we live in a very large country in a very large world and people like different things um i could probably i mean look i mean it's very clear that me and a lot of people did not like the sequel trilogy um but if you look at those box office numbers it's clear that a lot of people did things are up to interpretation things are up to like you know subjective bad and good and whatever but 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 i get what you're saying like we we just know it could be better but it's not really doing that and and that gets frustrating as a fan but like there isn't really an answer for that like it there's just so many factors that go into making these things happen and 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 if you give specific examples of a show then you can unpack it 
and when you can figure out what's going wrong and you can try to figure out why it's good that's that, that, that's part of the like reason why like entertainment group chats are such a thing like in in la or like or just even like among people like so you can you can try to do all that but like there isn't a blanket answer for all content everywhere like it does it is case by case there are factors that every studio and every project deals with but that's not always the end-all be-all i'll acknowledge that I'm, i'm probably a harder critic than than most people out there so i I understand my own bias in that sense and i'm I'm also self-aware enough to to know that that i I don't have the answer i'm I'm not i'm not saying hey i i have a perfect script in my head and and if you just gave me the power then i could do better no absolutely not you know i'm I'm not saying that uh in the slightest it it just surprises me because yeah a a lot of effort does go into this and i i just it, it it amazes me that despite how many people are involved in how much time and energy and money and all this stuff goes into it, that you can still end up with a product that again, I'm not asking for a plus excellent, you know, whatever, every single time. But a lot of these things, in my opinion, in honestly, I, I think a lot of people would agree, like, it's just subpar, like, how many fucking Moon Knight fans are there out there? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm one I, of them. What? Oh my god. Okay, that we'll, we'll say that for another time. Okay. So the, the reason I brought up Andor is because I like it. But I, I understand that. I, I, one hundred percent understand that shows try to achieve different things. So what a show like Andor set out to do is fundamentally different from what a show like The Mandalorian sets out to do, and that's okay. So I'm not asking for you know The Mandalorian to be Andor or to be like a prestige drama or to investigate all these deeper things about, you know, uh, imperialism and, and whatnot. No, but at the same time, within whatever rules it establishes for itself or whatever purpose it, it claims to uphold, it, it should be solid, right? It, it, should, it should have a standard for itself. So I guess, let me ask it. <clears throat> let me ask this question in a different way. Given that, we 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 are in a streaming environment now and specifically with Disney Plus where it has the fastest growing subscriber count they they've blown through all of their milestones and expectations and whatever for how many subscribers they would have at this point they they blew through 100 million this easily they're going way faster than HBO is and how how Netflix was going they're they're on a great track right so Given that to be the case, why is there not more of an emphasis on quality and, and, and just to say like, hey, if it takes more time, it takes more time. And that's that. Like, I, you know, I understand for to an extent for something like DC where they feel like they're actively being destroyed by Marvel on the other side. Or I, I guess they probably felt that a little more strongly a handful of years ago. And they're like, hey, we have to do something to catch up. and I, I think that's the wrong way to look at it, but I at least can appreciate the motivation for where that's coming from. But with something like Disney Plus and all these Marvel shows and all these Star Wars shows, I just like I just don't get why you feel the need to to rush all these things out. And if it's the like if that's the reason, if it's time, to me that's not a an acceptable excuse. Like if someone just has a different vision and 
and hey, maybe I'm not seeing it and maybe there are fans of it and whatever, fine. But if, if time is the reason, that's, I, 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 that's a hard pill for me to swallow. There is inherently less motive. Like a lot of content creators, so a lot of very, like good directors and stuff are really annoyed by the streaming thing. Like, and I'm sure like you, you're aware of this. Like we've talked about this before, like at some point, like even probably off the podcast where like, it's, it's a, a lot of content creators would not feel great about their story being just sacrificed for the, in the name of con uh, in the name of subscription growth. Right. And, 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 and you mentioned Disney plus like did all this stuff and, you know, met their metrics and everything. It's still unprofitable it's it's still it's still a streaming service it's still unprofitable they're like what's it called they're you know disney's obviously like crazy into layoffs and everything right now and 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 not only that royalties and like you know collection collecting that and all that and and just residuals and stuff that that's really hard to figure out as in the street that that's that's why streaming was another like big shock at the time because people like how do we figure this out like in terms of like contract and stuff and and in terms of who's one is there even any money to give out as, as, as like residuals or royalties and stuff and like um it, it there's just so much that goes behind it to like you know and and i feel like in certain cases maybe people wouldn't be motivated or pushed enough to 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 go like above and beyond you know there's there's always going to be places for like mediocre creators in the industry unfortunately i don't know how else to say that in a nicer way like and, and and again they would just be mediocre to us because like i'm sure if you ask like you know x person they probably love like i don't know it's just something i don't really like <laughs> they they probably love everything james gunn does and thinks he can do like absolutely no wrong and <laughs> stuff like that um and if you ask me i'll be like well here's something that i didn't like and it's it just it's it's a conversation it's a whole thing it just keeps happening it's like if everything was like trying to be prestige tv or something then then we wouldn't have like other kinds of tv that some people want to watch and like if if you don't want to watch any of those things it's like fine that's 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 the that's the beauty of it is we all have free will to, to press the play button on whatever we want to i i do understand the frustration of your favorite franchises especially star wars like not not meeting a expectation they have once set um the same person isn't working on all of these projects and it might be nice to have that like F feloni kind of seems like the guy that's that's trying to consolidate this like subplot now with um everything we're seeing kind of like unfold or sled to unfold like talking about the mandalorian talking about ahsoka looks like the rebel screw is going to get back into this looks like mentioning grada and rothron some of these trailers like even even if you just like even if you just go tell everybody to like you know just take their projects and just like fucking cook like it, it it's this new thing of the franchise aspect of it all where it all has to the expectation to meet a certain quality is like more there with recognizable brands and recognizable franchises and there is also the expectation with the franchises specifically to tie the narrative together and if you're not doing those things then it's more noticeable to to notice things but in a weird way i feel like star wars is trying to like 
check the right boxes in terms of the narrative right now. I, I think it's just the quality of it along the way is is not as good as it could be. And optimistically, maybe they're just trying to wrap all this up and move on to something entirely new. Optimistically, maybe that's what's happening. But yeah, if if you want to be cynical about it, you can say all the things about oversaturation and, and industry and you know recessions obviously going to affect hollywood too like blah 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 like if 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 this you know long sought after or long like talked about recession is going to be a real thing like there's just so much you could say yeah i i think i don't know if, if i mentioned this on pod or off pod but um my opinion and this would never happen for a number of reasons i i, I thought the most interesting creative choice that like a franchise like marvel could have made was that after Endgame, just reboot the whole thing, you know, and, and if you want to call it on a different universe or however you want to explain it, um, I, I didn't really care, but just wipe the slate clean, like you, all of your cast is gone, you know, and hey, 10 years down the road, if you want to bring them back and do a crossover or something, you can, but um, I thought that would have been really interesting. You know, you know the, the point about oversaturation is that like, I always feel like it's never oversaturated because if the if the stuff is good, then people will come. Like I don't know if you saw, they had a um, it wasn't even a, a trailer. It was kind of like a a teaser of a teaser for the Penguin TV show, uh, based on the Colin Farrell Penguin from uh, the Matt Reeves Batman movie, and that looked like it looked like a like a um a, a, a version of The Sopranos, but just like set in Gotham City. Um, that's with that's like without knowing anything about the show or or seeing any real like footage for longer than like you know thirty seconds or however long the thing was. It reminded me of like oh, but when they put out Peacemaker and and that's a DC Universe TV show, and I thought that was really good. I I take your point about how not everything has to be a prestige drama, and and I, I want to be very clear that yeah, like I I hundred percent agree. Sometimes you need your, you need your your comfort food shows, and they're gonna be shows that are supposed to be for kids you know primarily and all that stuff um but even then i i think that um we should all strive to do better and, and the reason that i care about this so much is because and admittedly I, I i based on the role that star wars has played in my life and and when i got into it like i watched all the movies for the first time when i was like 22 years old so you know i i look at star wars more as a critic than as a fan because i didn't grow up with it whereas something like harry potter i obviously I'm just more of a fan and I have that, that rage and that, you know, that, uh, the, all the stronger emotions that come with that. Um, but, but overall, the reason I care about this so much is because I think it's taken a very long time for, you know, quote unquote nerd culture to be not taken seriously. Serious is the wrong word, but for it to be considered like, Hey, these aren't just superhero movies. They're like, they're actual movies. You know where 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 you can have something nominated for best picture, you can have an actor nominated for you know best actress or whatever, and it it doesn't it doesn't feel weird, right? I think it's it's come a long way since then. That in order for others to take this stuff seriously, you know, we as the primary consumers of this culture, we have to be the first ones to take it seriously and apply that level of of critical rigor to it. Um, and if we don't. And, and if we don't hold this stuff accountable, uh, then it just continues to fall by the wayside and, and there's no hope of it of it being considered a part of just, you know, film or TV as a whole. It'll, it'll always be like, oh, this is superhero TV or sci-fi TV or, or fantasy movies. It'll always be in that little box 
as opposed to the uh, a part of the the larger. No, I, I agree. It's a, I think it, I think that's worth a, you know, I think that's a that's a good uh, little place to leave it randomly with no explanation after having um, many cocktails. I randomly woke up the next morning and found out that I texted my brother just completely unprompted. You are El Rata Alada. And that was it. So looking forward to that penguin <laughs> stuff. That's real. Most important, looking forward to the Batman too. Um, for the meta for the NBA players association, CBA and for <laughs> why can't content just be better. <laughs> Even though that wasn't the actual discussion, but uh, yes, for all of that and more, uh, he is a meta. My name is Sakura Jacob Nani, and you're listening to an overrated podcast. Okay, the side, not, 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 not.